Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Well, good morning. If we have yet to meet, I want to welcome you to Hope Church. My name is Mark. I am the pastor here, and I am so thrilled to see each and every one of you here this morning as we gather this Sunday after Easter. Whether you're here in the space here at Hope Church or worshiping with us online, a very warm and special welcome to you as well. Uh, This might be a great time if you have your Hope Church Plus app handy to pull it out. We have follow-along notes so that you can uh, follow along with uh, the content for today because it picks up directly where we left off last week. Last week, as you'll see on the screen, well, the title for today is Unless, Dealing with Your Inner Doubting Thomas. Uh, And so last week, where we left off was, it was Resurrection Day, and Jesus had appeared to Mary, and Peter and John were there, and uh, we looked about how uh, Easter focuses on the empty tomb. But the reality is, the tomb wasn't really empty, thoroughly. Now, like I said last week, don't think I'm going into heresy just yet, right? Uh, We see that from last week's account, there was the burial cloth that Jesus was wrapped in, the face covering. One was just thrown off to the side, the other was folded neatly and nicely, as though Jesus was leaving us a message to say, I am here, I am coming back. We also know that as a result of Christ being brought back from the grave, from the dead, that the tomb was filled with hope. And so when I say the tomb wasn't just empty, it was full. What I'm talking about, it was filled with hope and it was filled with the power of God that brought Jesus back from the grave. That resurrecting power is the same power and energy that he wants to infuse into your life so that you are able to move out and beyond the things that have brought you hopelessness and doubt and despair. The tomb was full of hope and power. And so we can be filled with that resurrection power. But one of the little side comments that we made, it becomes a thread that's going to weave into today's message, is there is a gap in our minds and in our emotions many times where we have to deal with the gap between what we believe and what is hard to understand. So is there anyone in here today who has ever experienced that gap between what you believe and what you understand, and you might want to name that gap doubt? Is there anyone in here who's ever had a doubt? We have a lot more assured people in here than we did in the first service, so that's good. That's all right. That's good. No, I've, yeah, we, all have, we all have doubts. And so today's message, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up again on Resurrection Day. It's later that evening. We'll see here in a few moments. And it's the encounter that Jesus has with one of the disciples who we commonly refer to as Doubting Thomas. And so that's why our message today is entitled, Unless Dealing with Your Inner Doubting Thomas. You'll see as we read through our passage here in just a moment that that word unless comes up and it becomes a fulcrum, so to speak, with the, in, in that encounter with Jesus and Thomas. Let's dig into our, our Bible passage today, coming from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31. And this week we are reading from the New Living Translation. The words will be on the screen. 
That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. I want to press pause here really quickly. That same day, right? So it's, it's Easter Sunday. We pick up there. The disciples were behind locked doors because they were afraid. That word afraid is going to come in very importantly when we think about the nature of doubt. Because so often our doubts are connected and tied to our fears. But not that alone. Okay, picking back up. Suddenly, I love how John puts that in there. Maybe not as emphatically as I am, but it's, it's there for a reason, right? Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. And we said that with an exclamation point. Peace be with you, Jesus said. As he spoke, he showed to them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told them, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples also saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is the word of God for God's people. Let's give thanks to God. Amen. All right, so the picture that you see on the screen is called The Incredulity of Thomas. This is a painting that was done by, which I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right, but Caravaggio in 1601 to 1602, somewhere around that era. Uh, and so what we see here is this famous artistic depiction of Thomas placing his hand into the side of Jesus, the risen Lord. Now, I want to break this down because it is a really important thing for us to see and to feel and to understand as we work through this passage and the miracles that were accomplished in it and through it for you and me. The first thing that we see is it's Easter Sunday, still, in the evening. All the disciples are gathered except for Thomas. I've got some theories of that. We'll go through that in a moment. But as Jesus appears to them and John gives us that clue, suddenly, right, suddenly he's there. He says, peace be with you. Now, back in our Lenten series, which is the season that leads us up to Easter, which is the season that we're in now, right now, we talked about promises of God. And one of the promises that we explored was how God promises to give you peace. And in that message, what I talked about was how we oftentimes assume that peace is the absence of conflict. It is actually finding stability and strength in the midst of it. And so we're brought back to the fact that the Jews... Uh, who were looking for the disciples to try to eradicate the Jesus movement 
forced the disciples into that upper room. And John tells us because they were afraid. They were fearful. And Jesus appears in that room with the locked door. And he offers them that greeting. Peace. I come in peace. If you recall from our promises series... The way that Jesus used the word peace in the context of these encounters isn't the absence of conflict, but it is to return to the connected and unified relationship into which we were all created in the first place. And so Jesus, on resurrection day, when he comes in and he stands in the room with the disciples who many of them fled out of fear, Jesus comes in and he offers a message telling them, let's get reconnected. Let's reestablish that unity, that connected relationship into which we were always designed to have. So it's a peace offering for sure, but it is this gift that Jesus is bringing the disciples who fled out of fear. He's coming and saying, I want to get back into that connected relationship that we lived in, we served in, we worked in for, for 30 some odd years. It is a beautiful, beautiful gift. But Thomas wasn't there. And so a week later, eight days later, as the scripture tells us, and I kind of want to break into a Beatles song. I'm not going to do it. They had that song eight days a week. I love you. Anyway, I said I wasn't going to do it. I did it the first service, did it here again. But still, eight days later, we see that Jesus suddenly appears in the room with the disciples. But this time, Thomas is there, Right? And Jesus greets them with the same greeting, peace. Again, it's this gift and this offer of connectedness, of unity, of bringing our relationship back together. But then we see Jesus address the doubts and the concerns that Thomas voiced a week earlier. Because Jesus goes right up to Thomas and he says, here, put your finger in my hand. Put your hand in my side and you'll be blessed because you believe. Friends, do not let the significance of this moment just kind of fly by. Jesus came in and he offered an invitation of restored and unified connectivity in their relationship. And then right then and there, he confronted the doubts that Jude, not Judas, the, the, the doubts that Thomas had. Jesus confronted the doubts that Thomas had, but not in a condescending way, not in a denigrating way. He came in and he said, here, look. I want to get back into that united, restored relationship into which you were created. I want to come and meet you where your doubts are and then help you build your life on that belief. I think about all the miracles that happened there. Jesus appearing in the room. Jesus offering the disciples who fled that reestablished connection. But I think maybe the miracle that strikes me the most, is, of course, is that Jesus knew the doubts that Thomas had. But he met them there in the midst of them, did not condescend them, did not allow that to become a barrier in their relationship. But allowed that to become something to help Thomas's belief deepen and faith grow. I am convinced, I am confident that if you were here this morning and you have doubts of your own, you're trying to make sense of what you understand and what you believe and the gap in between those two, 
that Jesus is here to meet you this morning, to meet you even in your doubt, and to help you to find the assurance that you need to move forward. So let's move forward together, okay? So Doubting Thomas is a little bit of an unfortunate nickname. As we see here on the screen, uh, Thomas was probably grieving alone. That's the theory that I have as to why Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples. And that, I believe, is probably his most common mistake. It was withdrawing from the Christian community. It was withdrawing from the group that Jesus had pulled together. And as Tony Evans mentioned in a bumper video, stitched together. He withdrew from that group that helped to give him the confidence and the comfort that he would need. But this is an all too human thing, isn't it? When we find trauma and trial in our lives, there's this tendency to want to withdraw. We use the metaphor like the dog that retreats to lick its proverbial wounds or our proverbial wounds to to, to lick its wounds, to try to deal with some of those struggles. And so Thomas was probably grieving alone. I've gone through two significant losses in my life where I have felt the need to withdraw. The first one was after my father passed away. What, almost 21 years ago, right? 21 years ago, August. I, I was serving in a church down in uh, St. Andrew in Marietta. I was the associate pastor on staff, primarily in charge of pastoral care. And when my father passed away, I just felt like I needed to withdraw. And I went through a phase where I wasn't sure how I was going to re-engage in a community of faith when I was dealing with such doubt myself. But there was this man named Tom who refused to let me stay withdrawn. And he came to me one day and he opened up the scripture and he read the story about the four friends who had a friend of theirs who was paralyzed in his sin. And they were so intent to get their friend to Jesus, they actually climbed up on the roof, removed the roof from the house, and lowered him down into the middle so that he could be there and confronted with Jesus. I was paralyzed in my grief, and Tom was one of those who said, I am not going to allow you to stay paralyzed. Don't withdraw. I need you to get reconnected and to stay connected. Tom offered that gift for me, and it's one I'll never forget. And then just a few years ago, we lost our daughter. I felt like I needed to withdraw. I was ready to go sell t-shirts at the beach and maybe start my own Jimmy Buffett cover band. I was ready to go just do anything other than that which reminded me of my grief. And an army of people came, armed with lasagnas and chicken pot pies and paper plates and trash bags and donations to help us with funeral expenses and uh, medical bills. An army of people came and refused to allow us to withdraw. You see, Jesus looked at Thomas and he said, You were blessed because you have the ability to see. But blessed will be those who are able to believe even without being able to see. I contend that one of the most beautiful and powerful and poignant things that has ever happened to me in my life, in those two instances in particular, was that Jesus did show up in the flesh. He showed up in the man named Tom who read a Bible story to me and reminded me of how people will go to extraordinary lengths, even removing roofs from buildings to get you in the, in the presence and the comfort and the care of Jesus. And I saw people show up who had, like I said, armed with casseroles and trash bags and all kinds of things. I refuse to allow you to withdraw from the community into which you have invested so much of your life in. And I saw Jesus show up there. But not just with casseroles and stuff. People who came and got real about their own trauma and trials and suffering. 
people who said, look at the wounds that I carry and hold in my life. And I grieved and I suffered, but I persevered because someone else would not let me withdraw. I've seen people come and show me the wounds on their hands and in their sides and in their souls and in their hearts and in their minds. They put flesh and bone on Jesus. You see, the most destructive thing that happened, the last significant loss was how I had to perform CPR on, on Mia, and she was already deceased, but that was just the most awful thing. And two men came to my house who had also had that experience. One was a fireman who, if anybody could revive someone, he could, but he couldn't. And another was another friend who stood there in my kitchen and said, I have also experienced the wounding that you've experienced. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Put flesh and bone on faith. And so friends, Thomas's natural human inclination was to withdraw from the community that had given him life. And there were others who refused to let him withdraw, to put flesh and bone on that faith. And we need to do the same with the courage and the conviction and the confidence. You see, Thomas was no shrinking violet. There are many virtues that we could look at. We're going to look at two this morning on our next slide. But uh, when we look back at John chapter 11, this is where Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. Thomas is the one who goes up to Jesus and the other disciples and said, let's go die with Jesus. Thomas was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. Thomas was convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. And he had two virtues. He refused to say he understood what he could not. Thomas refused to say he understood that Jesus was alive when he honestly could not conceive how that could be the case. Because Thomas was a man of deep and strong conviction. He saw the torturous, humiliating execution that Christ endured. He could not believe that anybody could have survived that, which Jesus didn't, but come back from it, which he did. Thomas just couldn't get there. He couldn't go there because he was so certain in what he saw. He was so certain in his conviction. He was so certain in what he believed. And so there is a difference here now when we go back and we looked at how the disciples were locked in the room because they were afraid. And then we see how Thomas was apart from them because he was convinced. And there is a difference on a continuum, so to speak, when you see how our doubts can be fueled by our doubts as well as our certainty. Let me rephrase that. How our doubts can be fueled by our fear and our uncertainty. Put yourself in Thomas's shoes or the other disciples' shoes. Do you find your doubts fueled primarily by fear or certainty? I'm certain that these things happened. I am certain I saw Jesus on the cross. I am certain I saw a spear go in his side. I am certain I saw his dead body in that tomb. I am certain I saw that tomb sealed. I am certain I saw the centurions posted up front. I am certain that he is dead and Thomas was certain. He wasn't afraid. He was certain. And he was still grieving. He refused to say he understood what he could not. 
Friends, isn't this so common to our human nature? When we have questions, we have doubts. We're afraid to voice them for fear of appearing as though we don't know everything. I think about Mark in grade school in math class. I knew that much, right? But I was afraid to appear to my teacher of all people, let alone the peers, that I didn't know everything there was to know about advanced algebra and trigonometry. I was afraid of not appearing smart. And so my doubt and my conviction that if I asked a question that someone may deem to be silly or stupid, and there are some stupid questions, right? I feared that that certainty that I felt in my, in my heart was something that would hold me back from truly experiencing the beauty of what was to come. But once we get to that point, we realize that our questions are not barriers. It can lead us to a beautiful place. And this is the second virtue I want us to reflect upon real quickly. Is that once Thomas realized that that was Jesus, he went all the way declaring Jesus as Lord and God. We don't know from the scripture precisely if it was the fact that Jesus acknowledged and embraced Thomas's questions and his doubts. We don't know if it was the fact that Jesus appeared to Thomas in the flesh or Thomas was allowed to even place his hands in Jesus' hands and his side. We don't know exactly what it was, but does it really matter? Because as soon as Thomas knew that that was Jesus, who he was certain was dead and is now certainly alive, he declared and went all the way. You are my Lord and you are God. You are who you say you are. That was Thomas's virtue. It gets back to that certainty that once he knew that was Jesus there, he was certain. There was nothing, nothing that would deter him. So we all have to wrestle with doubt and that gap that we can experience between what we believe, and what we understand. I have a list of four things that we can do. It's not an exclusive list or an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but so it is a list all the same that can help us come to grips with our doubt and work through them in a way that can actually help us. And so the first step is to have mercy with those who doubt. Now, I could also add parenthetically here, even if it's you, <laughs> right? You see from Jude 22, Jude only has one chapter. That's why it doesn't say Jude 122, but Jude 22, it says, have mercy on those who doubt. It is a very plain and simple text. When we deal with people in life who have doubts, we can follow the example of Jesus and not condescend them, not denigrate them or diminish them because they have questions, but to experience. But to encounter them and embrace them with mercy. But friends, you have to be willing to give that gift of mercy to yourself. Have mercy with those who doubt. So if you are here this morning and you have doubts and you're trying to figure out how we can bridge that gap between what we believe and what we understand, you are in the right place. Which leads us to our second point. Is allow your doubt to be a bridge to deeper faith. Doubt is often a bridge to deeper faith. You'll see the Bible text that we have here from Mark 9, 24. This is an encounter when the father brings his child to Jesus and he, he says, ask, can you heal him? And, the, and Jesus says, well, anything's possible for those who believe. 
And the father's response is just so human and so beautiful. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Is there anyone in here today or online who has prayed that prayer? I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Almost went with the text from James. I just want to kind of give it an honorable mention here. Because James talks about people who have doubts and questions, but they're like wind-whipped on the waves. These are different types of doubts and questions, right? The conviction that I want you to have that will not leave you feeling like you're wind-whipped on the waves is the type of certainty that acknowledges that we have questions and we have doubts and we have things that we don't quite understand. We can't quite grapple with and wrap our arms and our minds around. But I believe that God is and that Jesus is who he says he is. At the end of our service, we're going to be doing a baptism for one of our hope kids. And I'm going to ask her these questions, and I've asked them before. But it's this acknowledgement of what it is that we believe that embraces the mystery. More on that in a moment. Is that I believe that God is real. And he created me with a plan and a purpose for my life. But sin gets in the way of that. I oftentimes choose to go my own way and allow my doubts and my concerns and my all kinds of things just to get in the way with my relationship with God. But Jesus came to die for my sins and to remove that barrier. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and lead God and direct me as I embrace the connected life in the church that God has called and asked me to live. I believe. These are the things I'm convinced of. I'm convicted of. I believe them. But there are still things and times where I wonder, I doubt, I worry, I stress. Just like Jesus appeared to Thomas. He's not going to condescend our doubts and our questions as long as we're able and willing to keep the main thing the main thing. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe that God is real. I believe I have a sin problem. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe the Holy Spirit has come to lead God and direct me. And I believe that God wants me to have a connected life in the church. So help me deal with the things that I don't believe, which is the third point, right? The third point tells us that faith helps you live with mystery. Faith helps you live with mystery. It acknowledges there are things where you're going to experience gaps between what you believe and what it is you understand. And so we see this awesome verse out of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 33, verse 3, which is on the screen here. It's, it's two screens, but this is an invitation from God. Call out to me, I will answer you. I will tell you great things you do not know. So you mean it's okay for me to acknowledge and admit I don't know everything? Yes, God says, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you and tell you things you do not know. And then what's this next part? And What? And unless I do, you wouldn't be able to find out about them. Our word, unless, becomes our bridge from doubt to deeper faith. Unless I can put my hand in Jesus' hand. And unless I can put my hand in Jesus' side, I will not believe. And God turns around and says, unless you ask me the questions that only I can answer. You're not going to find the answers to your questions. That word less becomes our bridge from doubt to faith. From doubt to discovery. From doubt to confidence. From doubt to conviction. To embrace the reality that there is mystery in faith. And unless we can have the faith to approach God... 
You say, God, I don't understand these things. I believe, but I, I just don't understand. Then we won't receive the gift that God longs to give you the answers to your questions. Even he's like, you're just going to have to wait a little while on that one. But unless, unless you ask, unless you bring your questions to God, you're not going to be able to find the answers. And that can help you to live and embrace the mystery of life, of death, and of resurrection. And so our fourth point brings us back to helping to understand where Thomas was. Thomas was so full of certainty, he had missed assurance. There's a subtle difference in that, but we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11 to help us gain and garner a better and deeper understanding. The writer of Hebrews starts by asking this question, what is faith? And then he answers it. It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. So often, we get stuck solely on certainty that we lose the beauty of assurance. I can't see it. I can't fully understand it. But assurance and certainty go hand in hand. You see, Thomas was certain that he saw Jesus executed and killed. But he had not yet reached that assurance that everything that Jesus had said and that he had hoped for was actually going to play out. The assurance is that connection to faith that deals with our certainty, acknowledges our uncertainty, and helps us come to that moment where we can believe and have hope that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Assurance helps be that counterweight to certainty that can allow us to bring faith into the equation so that we can know and have absolute conviction that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do even when I can't comprehend it or understand it. Dr. Martin Luther King had this great statement about faith and how he said it's taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. The difference in this is that you know that there's a staircase there. Faith tells you to be certain that there's a staircase. Assurance helps you understand that there's a place to go as you climb to the top. Assurance is that which gives you the fuel for your soul that says, as I climb, as I walk, as I live, I am climbing, I am walking, I am living with a purpose, on purpose. That's the counterbalance of assurance and certainty and precisely how God wants you to live. So in review, I have these four steps on one screen in case you didn't get all of it the first time. The review is that we are called to have mercy with those who doubt, even if that person is yourself. Because doubt is often a bridge to deeper faith. You see, the enemy, Satan, wants you to think that your doubt is a barrier. Let it be a bridge as you experience and embrace your faith that helps you to live with some comfort and some confidence in mystery that there are things that are real that we just can't fully embrace and understand just yet. And as a result, when we are confronted with our own questions, not to allow our certainty to hold us back, but to find that, as the old hymn says, 
blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And in that connected relationship, that peace that he longs to give you, he's going to give you the glimpses of eternity that you need to help you deal with your grief, with your trauma, to help you be someone who can receive someone coming, putting flesh and bone on your faith, and then turning you around to put flesh and bone on faith for someone else, and to help you with that faith to know that even when there are all kinds of things that we're going through in life, we may not fully understand it, but there is a God who is there ready to catch us and to hold us. I think about baptism here and which we're going to embrace in a moment and helping Ethan learn how to swim. I mean, this kid loves the water. But when he was tiny, he was scared because he couldn't touch even in the shallow end of a pool. At least he couldn't touch well enough to be able to keep his head above the water and to allow his swimmies and floaties to do the job. And as we're teaching him, mommy and I stand on the shallow end of the pool with our arms out and say, come, jump, come to me. And at first, there's fear there because he knew he couldn't touch or touch well enough to be able to support himself. But we also had certainty that we could stand there with no problem because we were, right? And it's, I promise you, jump into my arms. You can jump. You can leap. I am not going to miss you. Put your life in my hands. And the thrill through the fear of leaping off the side of the pool and into daddy's arms with a strong embrace that says, even in your uncertainty and even in your doubt. I'm using preaching words to tell the story, right? But even in those moments, you had faith in the strong arms of your daddy to catch you and not let anything happen to you. Friends, I want that to be the assurance and the conviction that you leave this place here today. Is that even though there may be times when you can't see what is ahead, that you can in confidence jump into the loving arms of your capable heavenly father who even Jesus called Abba, Aramaic, Aramaic for daddy. And so you're safe in my arms. May we confront our doubts as we know that Jesus welcomes us into that place where we face our fear and our uncertainty by jumping and leaping into his arms and saying, dear Lord, help me to deal with the mystery of life, to allow the questions I have to be a bridge to deeper faith. And to know that I am with you and you are with me forever and ever. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.